Story nine of the Third Circle by Frank Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story nine. Son of a Sheik. The smell of the warm slime on the Jellif River and the sweet, heavy, and sickening odor that exhaled into the unspeakable heat of the desert air from the bunches of dead and scorched water reeds are with me yet also the sight of the long stretch of dry mud-bank rising by shallow and barely perceptible degrees to the edge of the desert sands and thus disclosed by the shrinkage of the jellif during the hot months the mud-banks were very broad and very black except where they touched the desert here the sand had shifted over them in light transparent sprinklings in rapidly drying under the sun of the sahara they had cracked and warped into thousands of tiny concave cakes that looked for all the world like little saucers in which india ink has been mixed if you are an artist as was tevenot you will the better understand this then there was the reach of the desert that drew off on either side and rolled away ever so gently toward the place where the hollow sky dropped out of sight behind the shimmering horizon swelling grandly and gradually like some mighty breast which panting for breath in the horrible heat had risen in a final gasp and had then in the midst of it suddenly stiffened and become rigid on this colourless bosom of the desert where nothing stirred but the waxing light in the morning and the waning light in the night lay tumbled red and grey rocks with thin drifts of sand in their rifts and crevices and grey-green cacti squatting or sprawling in their blue shadows and there was nothing more nothing nothing except the appalling heat and the maddening silence and in the midst of it all we now we broadly and generally speaking were the small right wing of general paltrot's division of the african service speaking less broadly and less generally we were the advanced guard of said division and speaking in the narrowest and most particular sense we were the party of war correspondents specials extras etc who were accompanying said advance guard of said wing of said army of said service for reasons herein to be set forth as the long black scow of the commissariat went crawling up the torpid river with the advanced guard straggling along upon the right we lay upon the deck under the shadow of the scow's awning and talked and drank seltzer i forget now what led up to it but ponskarn had said that the arabs were patriotic when bab azuin cut in and said something which i shall repeat as soon as i have told you about bab azuin himself bab azuin had been born twenty-nine years before this time at tlemcen of kaby parents his father was a sheik he had been transplanted to france at the age of ten and had flourished there in a truly remarkable manner he had graduated fifth from the polytechnique he had written books that had been coronné par l'académie he had become naturalized he had been prominent in politics no one can cut a wide swath in paris in anything without hitting against la politique he had occupied important positions in two embassies he was a diplomat of no mean qualities he had influence 
he dressed in faultless french fashion he had owned crusader he had lost money on him he had applied to the government for the office of sous-chef de bureau arabe dans laurent in order to recoup he had obtained it he had come on with us and was now on this his first visit to his fatherland since his tenth year on his way to his post and when panskarm had spoken thus about the patriotism of the arabs bab aswan made him answer the arabs are not sufficiently educated to be true patriots bah said santander a man does not require to be educated in order to be a patriot and indeed the rudest nations have ever been the most devotedly patriotic yes said babazwan but it is a narrow and a very selfish patriotism i can't see that put in panskarm a patriot is like an egg he is either good or bad there is no such thing as a good enough egg there is no such thing as a good enough patriot if a man is one at all he is a perfect one well, i agree answered babazwan yet patriotism can be more or less narrow listen and i will explain he raised himself from the deck on his elbow and gestured with the amber mouthpiece of his chibouk patriotism has passed through five distinct stages first it was only love of family of parents and kindred then as the family grows and expands into the tribe it too as merely a large family becomes the object of affection of patriotic devotion this is the second stage the stage of the tribe the dan in the third stage the tribe has sought protection behind the enclosure of walls it is the age of cities patriotism is the devotion to the city men are athenians ere grecians romans ere italians in the next period patriotism means affection for the state for the county for the province and burgundian norman and fleming gave freely of their breast blood for burgundy normandy and flanders while we off to-day form the latest but not the last link of the lengthening chain by honouring loving and serving the country above all considerations be they of tribe or town or tenure yet i do not believe this to be the last the highest the noblest form of patriotism no continued babazwan this development shall go on ever expanding ever mounting until carried upon its topmost crest we attain to that height from which we can look down upon the world as our country humanity as our countrymen and he shall be the best patriot who is the least patriotic ah fichter exclaimed sandender listlessly throwing a cushion at babazwan's head it's too hot to theorize you're either a great philosopher bab or a large-sized he looked at him over the rim of his tin cup before concluding idiot but bab aswan had gone on talking in the meanwhile and now finishing with and so you must not blame me if looking upon them he meant the arabs and theirs in this light i find this african campaign a sorry business for france to be engaged in a vast and powerful government terrorizing into submission a horde of half-starved fanatics he yawned all of which is very bad very bad give me some more seltzer 
we were aroused by the sudden stoppage of the scow a detachment of zephyrs near us upon the right bank scrambled together in a hollow square a battalion of coolie with hike and bournou rippling scuttled by us at a gallop and the twenty-third chasseurs d'afrique in the front line halted at an order on the crest of a sand ridge which hid the horizon from sight the still hot air of the sahara was suddenly pervaded with something that roused us to our feet in an instant Tavenot whipped out his ever-ready sketch-book and began blocking in the landscape and the position of the troops while santander snatched his notebook and stylograph of the scene which now gathered upon us i can remember little only out of that dark chaos can i rescue a few detached and fragmentary impressions all the more vivid nevertheless from their isolation all the more distinct from the grey blur of the background against which they trace themselves instantly somewhere disquietingly near an event or rather a whirl of events that rushed and writhed themselves together into a maze of dizzying complexity suddenly evolved and widened like the fierce quick rending open of some vast scroll and there were zigzag hurryings to and fro and a surging heavenward of a torrent of noises noises of men and noises of feet noises of horses and noises of arms noises that hustled fiercely upward above the brown mass and closed together in the desert air blending or jarring one with another joining and separating reuniting and dividing noises that rattled noises that clanked noises that boomed or shrilled or thundered or quavered and then came sight of blue-gray tumulus curtains but whether of smoke or dust i could not say rumbling and billowing bellying out with the hot tempest breath of the battle-demon that raged within and whose outermost fringes were torn by serrated files of flashing steel and wavering ranks of red and this was all at first i knew we had been attacked and that behind those boiling smoke billows somewhere and somehow men infuriated into beasts were grappling and struggling each man with every sinew on the strain striving to kill his fellow and now we were in the midst of a hollow square of our soldiery yet how we came there i cannot recall though i remember that the water of the jellif made my clothes heavy and uncomfortable although a mortal fear sat upon me of being shot down by some of our own frenzied soldiers and then came that awful rib-cracking pressure as from some outward unseen cause the square was thrown back upon itself and with it all the smell of sweat of horses and of men the odour of the powder-smoke the blinding suffocating stupefying clouds of dust the horrible fear greater than all others of being pushed down beneath those thousands of trampling feet the pitch of excitement that sickens and weakens the momentary consciousness vanishing as soon as felt that this was what men called war and that we were experiencing the reality of what we had so often read it was not inspiring there was no romance no poetry about it 
there was nothing in it but the hideous jar one against the other of men drunk with the blood-lust that eighteen hundred years had not quenched i looked at babazon he was standing at the gunwale of the scow somehow we were back on the scow again with an unloaded pistol in his hand he was watching the battle on the bank his nostrils quivered and he shifted his feet exactly like an excited thoroughbred on a sudden a trooper of the eleventh cuirassiers came spinning round and round out of the brown of the battle gulping up blood and pitched wheezing face downwards into the soft ooze where the river licked at the bank raising ruddy bubbles in the water as he blew his life-breath in gasps into it and raking it into gridiron patterns as his quivering blue fingers closed into fists instantly afterward came a mighty rush across the river beneath our very bows forty-odd cuirassiers burst into it followed by eighty or a hundred cabiles i can recall just how the horse-hoofs rattled on the saucer-like cakes of dry mud and flung them up in countless fragments behind them they were a fine sight those cabiles with their fierce red horses their dazzling white burnooses their long thin murderous rifle barrows thundering and splashing past while from the whole mass of them from under the shadow of every white hike from every black-bearded lip was rolling their war-cry allah allah il allah some long dormant recollections stirred in bab aswan at this old battle shout as he faced them now he was no longer the cold cynical boulevardier of the morning he looked as he must have looked when he played a ten-year-old boy about the feet of the horses in his father's black tent he saw the long lines of the doors of his native home he saw the camels and the caravan crawling toward the sunset he saw the women grinding meal he saw his father the bearded sheikh he saw the arab horsemen riding down to battle he saw the palm-broad spear-points and the blue yataghans in an instant of time all the long years of culture and education were stripped away as a garment once more he stood and stepped the kaibal and with these recollections his long-forgotten native speech came rushing to his tongue and in a long shrill cry he answered his countrymen in their own language allah il allah mohammed razul allah he passed me at a bound leaped from the scow upon the back of a riderless horse and mingling with the cabiles rode out of sight and that was the last i ever saw of bab aswan End of story nine.